Hello everyone, and welcome to the Scouting God Podcast. In this podcast, we are going to try to read all of the merit badge books that Scouting has to offer. In this episode, we are going to be reading American Labor. In the description, as always, I will provide links to the merit badge books on Amazon, and a link to the pamphlet as well. Now, let's begin. Introduction. The Declaration of Independence inspired many workers to demand their rights as people created equal. To business owners, just as the colonists had untied to their name for grievances, complaints about wrongs suffered against the British king, George III, and declared themselves independent of his control. Americans' workers in specific trades came together to demand a redress, this setting right of unjust situations, of their grievances about low wages, long hours, and poor working conditions. In time, these workers, partially the organized labor force, demanded a voice in the workplace and equality for a fair distribution of the benefits of economic prosperity. What they discovered is that democracy and capitalism, although they reinforce each other at many levels, often they are at odds. The concept of equal rights clashes with individual rights. The entrepreneur, a person who starts a business and assumes the risk wants to make a profit for his or her efforts. In fact, that person wants to make more profits than the competitors. What is equal about that? Shouldn't the people who work for the entrepreneur share his profits? These issues are the core of the American labor movement. Us and them. The struggles between labor and management. The economic development of the United States occurs in three stages. It begins with settlers taking claim to land and trying to raise crops and livestock to sustain their families. People worked to produce what they needed and could consume in time. As trade developed, planters explored crops and artisan made items to sell. The increased demands for products created an increased demand for labor, as well as an increased demand for higher profits. The invention of labor-saving machines, periods of prosperity, and economic depressions, wave of immigrants, majority of immigrants' workers were no longer independent and self-sufficient. Instead, they had become employees dependent on others for employment. The pressure for ever higher profits in a community economy resulted in management strategies to increase productivity by lowering wages and raising workday hours. Company owners spent money for machines instead of improvements to working conditions. Workers united to protest and protect their interests, including their health and safety. The labor movement began because of frustration with management and continues in the 21st century as workers strive to maintain the gain that they made and work for resolutions to new conflicts. Agriculture and Revolution Slave Labor When the Founding Fathers wrote the U.S. Constitution in 1787, they avoided addressing the issue of slavery in the document. The plantation system produces important cash crops for export, but it depended on the labor of enslaved African Americans. In 1793, Eli Whitney invented the cotton gin, which removed cotton seeds quickly and cheaply. Now, cotton could be grown profitably anywhere in the South, which encouraged planters to acquire more land by moving westward. 
Through 1850s, slaves produced most of the rock cotton for textile mills in Great Britain and in the northeastern part of the United States. Whether or not people supported the idea of slavery, they knew that slave labor was profitable. Industrial Revolution and Free Labor Industrial growth took off in the first half of the 19th century because of the opportunities for trade and expanded and new machines increased productivity. Canal systems and rail railroads allowed freight to move around the country more easily and cheaply. The invention of the steam printing press led to the widespread circulation of many different many different Newspapers. The telegraph sent information instantly over long distances. The transportation and information networks knitted regional and national markets together. Rural families started producing surplus crops and other goods for the market. They became less isolated and more aware of the employment opportunities for their children. Young men often went west to buy and work on their own land. Young women moved to towns and cities to work in the new textile mills and factories. The rise of commercial agriculture and industries drastically changed the labor force. For centuries, most men learned a craft by working in an, as an apprentice to a master craftsman who owned his own business. After years of training, the apprentice became a jury's man or a skilled craftsman. After many more years of working for the master and saving money, the jury's man started his own business as a master. The relationships were unequal, but the understanding that everyone had to spend time in training and the promise of becoming a master made the system work. The factory system soon undermined the master journey appreciation agreement. The availability of inexpensive and high-quality products shifted the demand of mills and factories. Many French chairmakers, shoemakers, hatters, and tailors hired more applicants and changed, completed, changed work methods and increased production. These who could not complete lost their business and worked as jurymen for other masters or took jobs in factories. Employers determined that they could break down expensive, skilled workers into simple tasks that could be done for a lower cost in a centralized workshop under supervision. This division of labor into small specialized operations allowed the employer to replace skilled jurymen with skillsmen workers, some of whom were women and children. Factory workers put in 12 hours a day, 6 days a week. Conditions in the factory and boarding houses where they lived seemed tolerable until the arrival of several million European immigrants during the mid to late 1800s. These newcomers joined the ranks of the semi-skilled employees, increasing the competition for a limited number of factory jobs and driving wages down. More factories opened, so company owners completed with each other while trying to protect profits. By increasing production and lowering the pre-peace rate, the employers effectively froze the workers' wages and increased their own profits. The workload of the average worker more than doubled, but only the owner benefited. The hostility towards immigrants grew in different areas of the country during the mid-1800s. A famine in China and the diversity of gold in California brought many Chinese people to the West Coast. By 1860, more than 35,000 Chinese immigrants worked in California mining camps. In 1840, the U.S. victory over Mexico in the U.S.-Mexican War 
resulted in the accretion of land from Texas to California. Nearly 80,000 people, mostly of Spanish Indian descent, would provide the low-paying labor to make agricultural mining and ranching profitable in that region. Native-born Americans represented having to complete for work for the people of Spanish Indian descent. They also feared that the abomination of slavery would flood the labor force with the freed slaves, threatening more jobs and driving wages even lower. Birth of the Labor Movement The labor movement began in the 18th century with local crafts organization known as Belevenant Societies. These groups provided financial assistance to a worker or his family in case of debt, illness, or death. Later, jurymen in specific crafts united on a temporary basis to protest wage reductions and long workdays. Eventually, different unions tried to win recognition from management to be the sole-bearing agent for all workers in a particular barging unit or group. Some unions demand closed shops while only union members were hired. Employers tried to avoid dealing with unions by hiring non-union workers and appealing to the courts to declare unions illegal. Courts pro produced the unions are criminal concept periods and restraint of trade. Later, the courts decided that unions were illegal, but changed the method were legal, but changed the methods union used to make gains, such as strikes and boycotts. A new social class emerged as more and more workers became wage earners. Unions organized for the economic benefits of the members and got involved in independent political activity. In the 1820s, political labor parties such as the Workmen's work, Party brought attention to the social and economic problems of workers. Their efforts led to legal, legalization that prohibited imprisonments for debt and established a 10-hour workday for women and children. They also laid the groundwork for the establishment of the free public school system. Workers tried to organize local unions of different crafts into citywide groups called city central groups or trade unions in the second half of the 19th century. They concentrated on forming national unions of workers in the same crafts. Two imported f federations of national unions with different agents developed after the Civil War. The Noble and Holly Knights of Labor, organized in 1869 as a secret society of tailors, went public in 1879, led by Terence V. Potterly, the exclusive union accepted by workers of all skill levels and trades, except lawyers, politicians, and labor dealers, and liquor dealers. The union encouraged men and women of all races and national origins to become members. Potterway's broad social vision, which focused on reforms and political issues, aligned many members who wanted the labor to concentrate on economic concerns. In 1886, skilled workers and craft unions organized the American Federation of Labor. Samuel Gompers, the leader of the Loose Confederation of Antonomous Self-Ruling Unions, ran the AFL as a business union focusing on breeding and butter issues such as securing better wages and working conditions and mandating the eight-hour workday. While workers organized large national labor organization in 
industries merge with competitors to create huge, powerful companies. Big businesses fought union efforts to have any influence in the workplace. Management used the court's injunction, private armies, and federal troops to put down labor activity. Employers also contracted with prisons to hire convicts as strike barriers. The un Unusum grew in fits and started in response to the success of future of strikes, boom and bust business cycles, and union military. The labor movement in the 20th century. Labor leaders promoted the ideas of union solitary, a spirit of unity based on common interests, and dem democracy in the workplace. However, Deep-rooted prejudice and fear often exerted a stronger influence on union members than idealism, high unemployment, and constitution for jobs during economic depressions contributed to the following problems. 1. Discriminations against foreign-born workers, monetaries, and women. Splits between skilled and unskilled workers. Power struggles between supporters of business unionism, and racial labor activities such as members of the Socialist Party and the Communist Party. The dynasty within the ranks and file weakened the unions and allowed rack-takers to infiltrate and corrupt some labor organizations. Employers publicized charges of union corruption to turn public opinion labor organization efforts. As a result of worker unrest, new uniforms New unions formed. In 1900s, the International Ladies' Garment Workers' Union, or ILGWU, formed in response to the horrible conditions in sweatshops, workplaces where employers labor for long hours and low wages in unsanitary and dangerous conditions. A strike in 1909 by 20,000, mostly women, members resulted in a compromise with manufacturers that provided for professional hiring of union members and prohibited employers from contracting with outside works to do homework, sewering tasks performed at home at the workers' expense. In 1905, socialists and other workers formed a racial labor organization. The Industrial Workers of the World, the goal of the IWW, was to create one big union and a single union for all workers and overthrow the industries. The IWW, led by William D. Big Hall Hayward, used controversial tactics, but it was one of the few unions to champion the rights of immigrant workers in the West. The IWW opposed U.S. participation in World War I for ethnical and political reasons and encouraged strike to disrupt the war effort. As a result, Hayward was convicted for Trajanist crimes. After a brief slant in prison, he fled the United States to lend his support to the Socialist Re Revolution in Russia. The AFL failure to organize the semi-skilled and unskilled workers in the mass production industries provoked John L. Lewis, president of the United Marine Works of America, and seven other AFL union leaders in 1935 to organize the Committee for Industrial Organization. The AFL explained that the CIO unions, which then formed a permanent indispensation federal, renamed the Congress of Industrial Organization 
The CIO new tactics of a sit-down strike to win union recognition is unrecognized in industries and the right to engage in collective bragging, bargaining. The Great Depression of the 1930s caused widespread unemployment and severe desolate in union membership. In a, an attempt to revitalize the economy and put people back to work, President Franklin Delano Roosevelt offered the American people a new deal and pushed through the social class. Reforms included unemployment, insurance, and social security, which required workers and employers to pay a tax to the federal government in order to provide a pension to retired employees. Thanks to favorable labor laws and successful organizing drivers, union members rapidly increased. Roosevelt recognized the labor's growing influence and appointed many labor representatives to federal agencies in return. The United pledged not to strike while the country was at war. Most unions honored the pledge and enjoyed a high rate of employment. When the war ended in 1945, unions went on strike. They bought out all of the grievances they had shelved during the war and demanded their share of country's economic prosperity. Labor scored many successes, which caused concern in business and government that the unions were becoming too powerful. New legislation, such as the Labor Management Regulations Act, reversed that many of labor gains from Roosevelt's New Deal. The American Federation of Labor, led by George Meanley, and the Congress of Industrial Organizations, led by Walter Ruthler, recognized that support for labor was changing. The two rival organizations decided to merge to deprect the union strength. In 1955, George Meany became the first president of the AFL-CIO. The new organization set about outrusting reckoners from the Union. It expelled the powerful International Brotherhood of Testamazers, which was riddled with corruption. The negative publicity fueled an effort to keep unions out of business and gave additional support to state right-to-work laws, which prohibited closed shops. Despite public opinion and new labor laws, unions negotiated much higher wages for their members than those of non-union workers, as well as a variety of employer-paid fringe benefits. The, economic, the economy prospered, big labor unions, big businesses, and the government developed a social compact, an unspoken agreement to work with each other as long as everyone was making money. The economic spluttered during the 1970s and millions of workers lost high-paying industrial jobs. The least skilled and least educated workers were the first to go. Many of these people found work in low-paying service jobs. Membership in these unions that represented the big manufacturers decreased, but increased in unions, repreciating service industries and government workers. The Industrial Revolution has ended. Information Revolution and Global Labor During the 1980s and 1990s, the semiconductor and microchip changed everything. With personal computers, global communication satellites, and the internet, people could instantly transfer information, ideas, and money around the world. 
Many jobs became available for people who understood information technology. Top executives and highly skilled IT workers made a lot of money. However, many industrial jobs for skilled and educated people were lost. These workers were forced to compete with unskilled workers for low-paying service jobs. Manufacturing companies risked laying off employees who had earned enough money to support a family on one salary. Middle management and lower-level workers, who had little hope of getting their jobs back, scrambled for work as millions of women entered the labor force to help maintain family incomes. Globalization For more than 200 years, the United States participated in an international economy. Trade took place between nations and government, said the rules. Compressed to the 21st century, involves a global economy. Corporations invested Investment bankers and traders treat the world as one big market. Global businesses is changing so rapidly that de- democratic governments are losing their ability to protect national interest and their labor force. Multinational corporations, companies that operate in different countries, use technology to create comprehensive advantages. The economic principle that each native should produce what it what it makes best and most cheaply, and then trade those goods with another nation for what that nation makes best and most cheaply. Multinational corporations set up factories in several countries to make parts or components, whether the costs are lowest, union-controlled is weakest, labor laws are most relaxed, and tax rates are most advantaged. Using computers and communication satellites, the companies send manufacturing specifications to plants around the world. Then they ship the parts to another country for assembly. Corporations are sending manufacturing jobs and service jobs offshore. Jobs and data entry, customer service claims, proceedings, telemarketing, software engineering, and business analytics are some examples of the position that have moved overseas. Computer sizing, training, and instant access to current information about foreign currencies allow global financial mar- market to open one day and night around the world. Traders invest not only in money, but also in companies worldwide. They want a maximum return on their investments, so they look for a business to use best practices. That is the most economical, efficient, and profitable way to do or produce something. Companies that keep costs down and productivity up generate the biggest profits and get the traders' money. Corporations seeking investment capital have to make hard decisions about dress direction the company, cutting wages and benefits, laying off employees, and undersorting or eliminating positions. The America labor force feels threatened. Many workers believe that they have lost jobs to guest workers. Monuments agreed to the United States on several visits to work for specific employers for a limited period of time. Guest workers are primarily prevalent in the high-tech and agricultural industries. American workers also feel that they have lost jobs to workers in the third world countries, less economically developed nations in Africa, Asia, and Latin America, who will work who will work for a much lower wage. Some Americans believe that it is difficult to compete without giving back gains the labor movement has made. 
What frustrated many American workers that some workers in the third country, including children and convicts, labor long hours in the terrible conditions for low wage in the same conditions that unions fought to change. The American Labor Force Today The American Civil Labor Force includes employees and the unemployed people over 16 years old, except those in prison, mental health institutions, and nursing homes, and people serving on active duty in the military. Blue-collar workers work generally performing manual or physical work. Thanks for listening to part one of the American Labor Merit Pitch book.